As I mentioned already, the text for this morning is the entirety of Psalm 107. We've just read that, so we won't read that once again, but I invite you to keep your Bibles open. We'll be making um, pretty much constant reference back to it as we, as we go through the sermon. We'll move through it from start to finish. After the sermon, we will respond to the proclamation of the gospel with Psalm 107 stanzas 12 and 17. Stanzas 12 and 17 of Psalm 107. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as that beloved congregation, as people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ from a way of hopelessness, as people who have been given so much at such a cost, we believe and we confess that thankfulness is probably the, the strongest descriptor for what ought to govern our lives right now. This is how it's summarized in one of our confessions in the Heidelberg Catechism. This is how it's confessed by the church in Lord's Day 1, that there are three things that we need to know in order to live and die in the joy of the comfort of belonging to Christ. And this Lord's Day should be very familiar to us. It's one of the landmark Lord's Days. Those three things are, first, how great our sins and misery are. Second, how we're delivered from those sins, from our misery. And third, how we are to be thankful to God for that deliverance. Those are the three parts of the Heidelberg Catechism, and there's a lot of content of the catechism devoted to that third part, our life of prayer, uh, our life of following the Ten Commandments, all of these things uh, come under the, the umbrella of the life of thankfulness to God. And the psalm that we're focusing on this morning is a proclamation of the goodness of God that we see reflected in this instruction in the catechism, there's a state of hopelessness, a state of misery, and then God acts to save his people out of that state of, of hopelessness, and he brings them to a safe place, he restores them, and then the people are called on to express thankfulness over what God has done. This is the great outline of the life of the Christian. We were hopeless, we were lost in sin. God gave final, eternal salvation in Jesus Christ, and now our lives are characterized by thankfulness for this. But that order of events, that sin, that salvation, that service, it doesn't just happen once. It's not just the, the big thing. This is a repeating pattern throughout the lives of God's people. This is a repeating pattern throughout each of our lives. With all these instances teaching us, pointing us to the great pattern of thankfulness for who Jesus Christ is. And so, this is the theme for the sermon this morning, a pattern of thankfulness for the people of God. And as I mentioned earlier, we're simply going to work our way 
through this psalm sort of chunk by chunk. And as we do this, we'll get a sense of how the Lord deals with us in such a rich and a loving way. His treatment of us is the thing that, that drives our hearts to respond with thanks. And so before we get into all of the details and, and before we see the, the repeating pattern that, uh, that's evident in the psalm here, it's good in the first place to understand how this psalm was used in the first place. When was it written? When was it used? And how was it used by the first, uh, by the first uh, people of God who, who had it in their possession? So, Psalm 107, if you've noticed, if you noticed during our reading that above the, uh, the, the number 107, the title, Let the Redeemed of the Lord Say So, and just above that it says Book 5. Book 5 of the Psalms. There are five sections or, or books in the Psalms, and this is the opening one of the last section. This is the last section of Psalms. In a way, it sets the tone for the rest of the Psalms uh, that we see uh, in this book, in book five. The last section we can understand to be added to the collection of Psalms pretty late in Old Testament history. Even though some of these Psalms were written much earlier, some of them were written by King David, they became part of the official songbook of the church at a later specific point in the history of the church. And so, these last psalms were collected and used especially after Israel had returned from being captive in Babylon. And so these songs were sung by a church, a church who had recently come back home, they'd returned to their homeland, they were brought home by God. And they had to pick up the pieces, the pieces of the life that their grandparents had lived. What was the situation like? Well, the, the city of Jerusalem was in ruins. The glorious temple of God was demolished. And after 70 years, they were sort of starting brand new, but, and, and there, was, there was a lot of cleanup to do. But the Lord was good, and He blessed their work. And you can read about this, this restoration of, of life there, the, the rebuilding of the city wall, the rebuilding of the temple. You can read about those things in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. You can see the hardships they encountered and the way that the Lord provided for them all along the way. And so with God's wonderful blessing, they were able to begin again. They're able to make their home with Him again in the land that they were given. And so this psalm, especially during that period of, of much struggle and what seemed like hopeless situations, this psalm is a reminder of God's constant goodness toward His people. In a way, it recounts all the various ways that the Lord had provided. And, and the pattern that we see here is similar to the pattern in the previous two psalms, psalm, Psalms 105 and 106. Psalm 105 remembers, calls to mind, is a celebration of God's deeds for His people all the way from their rescue from Egypt until their entry into the Promised Land. And then, and then Psalm 106 catalogs sort of how it all went wrong. Israel's 
pattern of unfaithfulness leading to their uh, captivity in Babylon. And Psalm 107 picks up from there. This is a song for after their release, after they're restored. They have cried out to the Lord, the Lord has heard them, and the Lord has brought them back home. This psalm calls his people to remember this and give thanks to him for it. And so we can see that summary of the psalm in the first three verses here. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. There are a lot of foreign words that get translated into English as love. We just have one word that sort of is meant to encapsulate a lot of different emotions or, or acts um, that, that are described as, as love. So, for example, uh, in, in Greek, uh, eros or, or sexual love, uh, we translate as love. Uh, philia, so this is like a familiar sort of friendship kind of love. We translate that as, as love. Agape is another kind of, of love, which we translate just as love. And we sort of have the same thing in Hebrew. The Hebrew word here is so important, so special. So this is uh, at the, the, the end of verse 1, for his steadfast love endures forever. The word that's translated as steadfast love is, and I'll, and I'll pronounce it in Hebrew here, it's pronounced chesed. Chesed. This is one of those words that if you really, if you really wanted to nail down a full definition of, of everything that that word means, what a Hebrew person would think of when they hear that word chesed, it, it would be a very long definition. It would be something like God's unconditional and steadfast covenant faithfulness and affection toward his people. Like, that's a lot. There's a lot going on there. God's unconditional and steadfast covenant faithfulness and his affection toward his people. And so, when, when, you're in, when you're in a language class, when there are words that are so difficult to, to translate one for one, and, and you've discussed them as a class so often that um, everybody knows what, what, what these words mean, you just don't translate them anywhere, you just, you just keep them as they are. And, and we do this sometimes, we have words like hallelujah, we have words like amen, we just don't translate them because we, we know... The, the fullness of, of what they mean. Chesed is one of those words. You just say chesed, and everybody knows that you mean his unconditional and steadfast covenant faithfulness and affection toward his people. You don't want to have to repeat that every single time. So that's what we're going to do today, this morning in the sermon too. We'll just say the word chesed, and you'll know what I mean. So, verses 1 through 3, the people of God are called to give thanks, give thanks to the Lord because his chesed endures forever. It keeps going forever and ever. And then verses 2 and 3, this is for you, you people whom he has redeemed, the ones that he's called to himself, the ones that he's gathered into his family, the ones whom God has brought back home. 
God brought you to your beautiful home. That's verses 1 through 3 that summarizes the whole, the whole psalm. And then we have a bunch of examples of what the chesed of the Lord looks like. What sorts of things has He done? And we can recognize that the examples form a pattern if we look first at verse 8. So check out verse 8 there. It says, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Maybe you cued on to that uh, during the, the Scripture reading, that there was this sort of repeating uh, refrain through here. So that's what we read in verse 8, and then we see the same thing in verse 15, identical phrase, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man, and then it repeats again in verse 21, verse 31. We have all these examples of God's people being in a great state of need, and then they cry out to God while in that state of need, God delivers them, God hears their prayer, and then they're called to acts of thanksgiving, give thanks to God because of His chesed. And so the first example of God's care we see in verses 4 through 9, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. They were hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them, and then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them. He brought them to a city. He gave them a home. He established their lives with Him. And then in verse 8, we have that refrain, let them give thanks to the Lord. In this case, the Lord has shown what? Verse 9, He shows that He satisfies the hungry and the thirsty with good things. He satisfies the hungry, the thirsty, and fills the hungry with good things. And there's a number of examples in here that that should, should, that should jog our, our memories about specifically the ministry of Jesus Christ and the things that he said that he came to do. In, at the Feast of Tabernacles, he says to the people, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Anyone who drinks the water that I give will never be thirsty again. Verse 9, he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. We'll put all this together a little bit later in the sermon, these connections. Give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. In each of these, we'll see that God's people come to a point of crying out to the Lord in distress. And it's really, it's really important for us to recognize that that has to happen. So yes, God blesses His people at all times in every single condition that we find ourselves in in this life. We find ourselves in, in times of distress, in times of trouble, but it doesn't mean that the Lord has stopped blessing us. He's blessing us at all times, but the life of blessing that we experience is not static. It's not that, it's not that God puts us into a state of, of, of life where, where we experience His goodness and everything is good and pleasant and there's no problems at all and it just doesn't move and it stays like that. That's not how it is. That's not how it is. We live in a world full of pain and brokenness. Lots of our discomfort comes from our own faithfulness. We'll see a little bit more about that later. But at any rate, we're, we're brought to a point 
where we know that our own efforts are worthless. We're in a situation that we can't get out of ourselves. A point where we realize the thing that we confess every single Sunday, twice every Sunday, we confess this thing. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. God's people realize this. And then we cry to Him. We cry to Him for help to be delivered from distress. And what happens? God answers. He delivers us from distress. This is the pattern. This is the pattern. We are in distress. We need rescue. We cry out to God. He delivers it. And then our hearts are turned toward Him in thanksgiving. So that's the first example, verses 4 through 9. Second example, 10 through 16. Some were in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. And then we have an explanation for this. Why were they in prison? Why were they afflicted? Verse 11, for they had rebelled against the words of God. They had spurned the counsel of the Most High. So they didn't listen to the instruction of God. They didn't listen to His commandments. And they found themselves imprisoned. Now, this could be a literal example of Israel's history. This is, this is what God had taught His people. He had guaranteed His people, this is how it's going to go. If you are unfaithful to me, if you don't walk in my ways, if you're not faithful to my covenant, then all of this series of, this series of bad things is going to happen to you, and eventually you'll find yourselves imprisoned by your enemies. So this could be a literal example from their history, but in more general terms, this is also God's teaching about sin and enslavement to sin. God had freed His people from Egypt, and He gave them His covenant, His law, so that they would enjoy the good life. This is not only a life that's lived out of thankfulness, but it's also God's prescription for the best possible life that anyone could live. This is, this is the good way. If they lived according to His Word and to His counsel, then they would be keeping themselves from being re-enslaved. And this is the same way with us. If we reject God's Word, if we reject His commandments, His counsel, then we find ourselves being re-enslaved to a sinful way of life. We see this in John 8, verse 34. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Galatians 5, verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Romans 6, verse 6. We are crucified with Christ so that we're no longer enslaved to sin. So, back to our psalm, verse 14. This is God's deliverance. So people rebelled against God, found themselves re-enslaved, imprisoned in chains. They cry out to God. Verse 14, He brought them out of darkness, out of the shadow of death. He burst their bonds apart. And then we have the refrain, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His chesed. That verse 14 he brought them out of darkness in the deepest gloom, broke away their chains. This is, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is language that Jesus himself uses 
at the beginning of his, of his ministry, he had gone to his hometown. He went to Nazareth, and he's teaching there in the temple. And everybody is amazed by the wisdom that he displays. They're all so impressed with, with his teaching. But then he says this. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, he, he proclaims this about himself. He announces himself as the Messiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what we see here, I mentioned this with this hunger and thirst, and God addresses that. He, he satisfies our thirst. He fills our souls with good things when we are hungry. He bursts our chains apart. He, he frees us from prison. These are ways that God acted for Israel really in history but they're also a proclamation of a greater salvation that we see in Jesus Christ. These are the things that the Messiah of God was going to do, and this is what Jesus proclaims about himself. Let's look at our third example, 17 through 22. These are various people who have acted wickedly and who in some way have been penalized because of their wickedness, verse 17, because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. Now, we can't be too sure exactly what this means. Maybe these are direct consequences for sinful behavior. The people of God sinned against Him and He directly punished them because of that. There are examples of plagues that... God inflicted on His people because of a specific sin. We could see an example of that in Numbers 25. Uh, on the plains of Moab, Israel committed adultery with the Moabites. They engaged in, in, in idol worship, and this plague broke out. 24,000 people were killed in one day. That's a, a very direct reaction against the, uh, against the wicked acts. Um, same thing with, with the bronze serpent, but the Lord granted healing. Now, we have to be careful about drawing one-to-one comparisons between, between those instances and, and the life that we experience with God today. We don't live in a, in a theocracy the way that Israel did, and so we can't expect exactly these same kinds of one-for-one punishments for sin. But, but, there are consequences for wicked living. If you're a murderer or a thief, you'll probably end up in prison. There are diseases that accompany sexual immorality. Generally, when you live contrary to God's commands, you can expect that life is not going to go so well. And that's because of the way that He designed us, the way that He designed our lives. This is His promise. If, if 
you obey His commandments, then it will be well with you. The, the human life flourishes when it's lived according to the goodness of God. And, and the human life deteriorates when lived in opposition to, to God and, and against His way of creation. And here's that pattern again. Verse 19. So these people find themselves in trouble. They cry to the Lord. He saves them. He heals them. Rescues them from the grave. And now they come to Him with thankfulness in their hearts. So over and over, over and over, we find ourselves in this state of need. We cry out to God. He answers. He heals. He frees us. He restores us. Now why? Why would He do this? That's a big question here. This is not just a pattern of God's faithfulness, but we also are seeing here a pattern of our unfaithfulness, a pattern of wickedness, a pattern of, of people constantly betraying the God that loves them, a pattern of forgetting God. He's good to people, God is good to people, then they enjoy His goodness, and then they leave. God's good to people, they enjoy His goodness, and then they leave. Why would God keep sending His blessing? There's a one-word answer for this. Can you guess what the answer is? It's chesed. It's because of God's it's because of His unconditional and steadfast covenant faithfulness, His affection toward His people. There's no other reason. There's no other reason. God's love is the reason for this relationship. What's at the heart of a covenantal relationship? That God has become our Father through Jesus Christ. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of His saving work, because of Christ's work of quenching thirst, because of His work of freeing us from prison, because of His work of restoring and healing, giving sight to the blind, being the sacrifice for our sins, because of Christ's work as King, because of all this, He has given you the right to be a son or a daughter of God. God is your Father, and God loves His children. That's the heart of the covenantal relationship. He wanted to make you into a son. He wanted to make you into His daughter. And the way of that, the way to do that was only through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has accomplished this. He's won this for us. And so now, God treats you as a father treats you. Why is He so patient with you? It's because He's your father. Think of the parable of the, the lost son, this son who, who leaves his family he basically spits on him. He takes his inheritance. He blows all his money on prostitutes. 
on gambling, on, on wasteful living, partying. And then when all the money's gone, he's hungry, his life is absolutely destroyed. And while he's wallowing around there in the mud with the pigs, he comes to his senses. This is not the way to live. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back home. And my father's probably not going to receive me back as a son, but maybe I can convince him to at least take me on as, as a servant, as a slave. At least the slaves of my father's house had something to eat. They had full plates every day. That's the least I could hope for. Luke 15, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This filthy, disgusting young man who was just wallowing around with the pigs, this, he's stinking and he's starving, but his father embraces him and holds him tight. Why? He's his dad. He's his father. When God puts his name on you, when God puts his name on you as he has, his fatherly, unconditional love comes with it. It's steadfast. His love is not derailed by our failings. Last example here, 23 through 30. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. And then we have this incredible description of this terrifying storm. God's power in the storm. I've never been on the ocean in a ship. But one can imagine the, the powerlessness that you would feel on a storm like the one that's described here. These waves are so gigantic and towering. You're, this little vessel, this speck, on this vast ocean is tossed into the air on the crest of this wave and then goes hurtling back down into the valleys between the waves. At any second, this thing could capsize, get swallowed up by the sea, and you're never heard of again. Everything is completely out of control. Death, death is possible at any moment. Any moment. Maybe this is what some of our lives feel like. No control over, over anything. Turmoil, getting tossed around by this difficulty, that hardship, this disease, this betrayal, and despair, death is possible at, at any moment. That's the reality of our lives. What does the pattern say? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. One more thing that Jesus Christ demonstrates his power over. Our imprisonment, our eternal hunger and thirst, 
He demonstrates his power over every aspect of creation. He and his disciples were in the boat in this horrible storm, just like the one that's being described. Raises up, everybody thinks they're going to die, and Jesus says to the storm, be quiet. And it's calm. Verse 30, they were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. Now, we have to be careful here. Jesus Christ promises peace. He says, my peace I give you. But he doesn't promise that nothing unpleasant or scary will ever happen. He doesn't promise that if we find ourselves with, with cancer that if we pray, then, then it's a done deal that cancer goes away. No, there are things that he gives us to bear. But what he does promise is that when we pray to him, he delivers us from our distress. He delivers us from distress. We find ourselves at peace with God through Jesus Christ, even in the midst of a storm. Our distress melts away. He guided them to their desired haven. He brought them home. This is, this is the beautiful promise for those who call God Father. We're travelers on our way to our own city. And yes, this journey is full of hardship. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. God's grace and His love, His chesed, through Christ, is the guarantee that we will be home with God after this life. And that our present journey, even though full of affliction, our present journey is secure. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love, for His chesed. Now, it might be surprising to us that this psalm doesn't end on that note. It doesn't end with that same refrain that we see in those four examples of deliverance. Is that surprising? Actually, this conclusion ends with, with us in view, with with the call for us to take note of, of all of these things. Verses 33 through 41, we see the Lord has done all this work. He is still doing all this work in this world for His people. And we're left with two options here. Verse, verse 42, the upright see it and rejoice. The upright see it and are glad. So the upright see and remember all the things that the Lord has done and are glad. Or... All and all wickedness shuts his mouth. So in some translations, it's the upright see it and are glad, but all wicked people keep their mouths closed. They, they don't confess these things. Two possible responses to the work of the Lord. The Lord has blessed us richly. The Lord has given us plenty of everything. He's blessed our churches. He's blessed our families. Do we recognize this 
and praise the Lord, or do we keep our mouths shut? Verse 43, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the chesed of the Lord. This means that God calls us today to recount the deeds that He has done for us. Bear witness to these things. Tell about these things. This pattern of this is a pattern of praying, of God answering those prayers and God's people being thankful for these things. Not only for the grand pattern of being lost in sin, Christ saving us from our, from our misery in sin and having a whole life of gratitude, but also repeatedly throughout our lives, we find ourselves in a state of need. We pray to the Lord, and He answers our prayer and delivers us from our distress. We're called to bear witness to the goodness of God for anyone who will hear us. Consider these things. Thankfulness rules our hearts when we truly consider the deliverance and deliverances that He has given Thankfulness rules our hearts when we truly consider how richly He's blessed our life. Not, not materially, maybe materially, but not only materially, but especially in the richness of our relationship with Him. The richness of life as the child of God. And when we stack all of these things up, when we see this pattern, this amazing catalog of God's deeds for us, then our thankfulness is multiplied because then we understand something of the love of God. Let us give thanks to God for His steadfast love and His wonderful deeds for us. Amen.